Today's episode of the 48 Minutes Podcast is brought to you by the 48MinutesNetwork.com. Where you can check out all of our classic podcasts and episodes in the past. As you know, we're doing all of our team previews right now, so that's the place to find them all. Obviously, you know we're on all the podcast networks such as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Where you can not only check out 48 Minutes, um, you can check out Kyle's show. What? Shot Collars. Shot, 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 shot Collars. We can check out Kyle, Brandon, and Ben Brown as they are also in team preview season. But you can check out their fun episodes they've done, including top 10 and bottom 10 league pass teams and the NBA Twitter recap show and the classic LeBron James versus Donald Trump episode we did. So that's uh, where you can check them out. Uh, also, you can check everything out we do, everything there as well. Today's show is going to be fun. We're going to be joined by John Kiefer of the J Notes. John is a contributor to the J Notes, the Utah Jazz fan sided site, and also part of the Three Point Threat podcast. He's going to come on and do our jazz preview with us, and we're really excited. Before we get into that, give it up for my buy, my guy, Mega Ran. Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Whoa, boom, shakalaka. Well, John, welcome to 48 Minutes, and thank you for coming on and doing our Utah Jazz team preview, man. Yeah, it's really exciting. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get started, um, we'd like to give our guests a chance to really promote themselves, talk about what they are doing, how they got involved in the writing biz and everything there. So tell us a little bit how you got involved with the J-Notes. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, so I go to Weber State University right now, and I'm a multimedia journalism major. And I was really, I've always been a huge jazz fan, and I I had a blog that I was writing, and I, I felt like even if I wrote the best article in the world my blog was only reaching like 60 people and most of it was my family so no that luckily I, I heard about the day notes which is under the fan-sided network and they gave me the opportunity to write for them and i've been with them for about a year and a half and uh, it's really great stuff i mean if you're if you're a fan of the utah jazz there's always content coming out from the day notes even during the dead times of the summer we're really good about being on top of things and getting things out there um I also am the co-host of The Three-Point Threat, which is a Utah Jazz-based uh, podcast where me and Jared Woodcox, uh, who also writes for the J-Note, we get together about once a week to touch base on the Utah Jazz and also just other things going on in the NBA. So it's good times. If you want to follow us, if you want to listen, Three-Point Threat, the J-Notes, you can also follow me at John underscore Kiefer on Twitter. You mentioned Weber State, alumni being Portland Trailblazers point guard Damian Lillard, no? Yep, Damian Lillard. I've got the good opportunity to meet him a couple times. He's a really nice guy. That's pretty cool. I think Three Point Threat is a fantastic name for a podcast. Absolutely. Good job, man. You really you really I know, did. right? We, we called it that, just obviously the tie-ins with three-pointers, but also every episode we pick three main topics to go over, so... That you, that is half the battle. You did it. I mean, honestly. So um, <laughs> that is that is worth the listen right there. So, so it's good. And really, any excuse to talk about basketball is, is good in my boat. 
So let's talk about the Jazz. Obviously, last year a really big year for the uh, for the Utah Jazz. Um, uh, you know, a team that was in a lot of disarray and a lot of shock and a lot of questions about them after Gordon Hayward leaves. Um, obviously, Rudy Gobert battling injury, and you know you don't know how you're going to replace the scoring of Hayward. You draft this kid. You actually you get in a trade on draft day. This kid from Louisville named Donovan Mitchell, who was pretty decent, I guess, his rookie year. I guess he did some good things. Um, make a run at the playoffs. Yeah, a... You guys, you know, yeah, just... I mean, he, he, he was, he was fantastic. <laughs> you guys just I run into a Houston like, Rockets team. Man. Go ahead. I'm sorry, John. Oh, you're fine. Um, uh, when I first started writing for the J notes, it was actually right around the time when free agency was starting last year. And I think the very first piece I wrote was why Gordon Hayward was going to stay in Utah. So, I missed big on that one. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> that's a tough a one. Left, and it, it really was heading into that offseason. I don't think the very optimistic Jazz fans thought maybe they could sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed. Maybe, and really, no one expected what was coming with Donovan Mitchell. It was incredible to be a part of and to experience firsthand as a Jazz fan. So I lived in Louisville uh, for a few years. Um, and I lived in Louisville up until about a year ago, so I actually got to see Donovan Mitchell play um, at uh, the KFC Yum Center, is what it's called, which is like the most Kentucky thing you could ever call. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, but I got to see him play, and I listened to their sports talk radio, their local one there, um, a lot, actually, and um, it's really crazy. They, they all predicted that Donovan Mitchell, and of course they were all homers, but they all predicted that Donovan Mitchell would be like this NBA superstar. He would come in and he would just lead a team and would be able to score whenever he wanted and would be NBA ready. And I was like, you know, eh, he's pretty good. Uh, but it's crazy. They all, they all said it. Um, now, of course, I think they probably had to say it. But it was it was pretty cool to see him at Louisville, too. Um, yeah, he blew up. I remember, I remember way before the NCAA tournament started, I started looking at some mock drafts. And there were mock drafts where Donovan Mitchell was projected to go not even in the first round. I mean, he, he exploded onto the scene over the kind of second half of the college season. And then after the combine, his measurables blew people away. And it got to a point where the Jazz at 21 weren't going to get him. So I, it was best case scenario for the Jazz was he was going to be just a deep defense first person who would fit the culture of the jazz. And maybe he would have some spectacular dunks here and there, but what he did scoring 20 points a game, I don't, yeah, they're definitely homers. I don't think anybody actually thought he was going to be doing that for real. Yeah, that's tough. Um, my, my Detroit Pistons, I'm from Detroit. My Detroit Pistons, uh, had the pick before Donovan Mitchell. It was one, one pick that. before, and we took a shooting guard. We took Luke Kennard. So, uh, I will forever watch Donovan Mitchell. He looks okay. Yeah, okay. He looks okay. No Donovan Mitchell, but he looks all right. Yeah. Um, So, I'll forever watch Luke Kennard play for the next few years and just imagine it being Donovan Mitchell. So, that's my sorrow. It could be worse. You could be a Denver Nuggets fan because over the past five years, they've traded us on draft night trades, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Oh, 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 gosh. Ouch. Don't pick up the phone. If it's draft yeah. night in the Utah Jazz I don't, I don't think they should ever trade with us again. Don't do it. 
Yeah, they're kidding. So on top of that, you know, getting Mitchell, um, you guys also swing a trade to get Ricky Rubio, and obviously he turned out to be really good for your team. Uh, he did and he didn't. I mean, if you if you follow the Jazz last season, the first half of the year, it, it really felt like we were going to have to trade Ricky Rubio. I mean, he struggled greatly over the first few months of the season. He was shooting terribly. He looked like he had no confidence. He's he's most known for his incredible passes, and it seemed like he was turning the ball over more than he was setting people up. And um, I, I know the advanced metrics showed that the Jazz were actually better with him off the floor than on the floor. Uh, but over the second half of the season, he he turned it around and became an amazing player. Um, if you follow the Jazz, January 22nd is the date where we hit a low point. We were nine games under 500, and it really just seemed like we should scrap it for the season and just look for the highest draft lottery pick we could get. Um, but from January 23rd on, they turned it around, and I think Rubio averaged about 16 points, six assists, five rebounds a game, and he shot 44% from three. Um, so looking into next year, if we have the second half of the year, Rubio, watch out, because he was an amazing player over the second half of the season. Yeah, you always have to be careful about the, the advanced metrics like that, because um, I know, again, I'll, I'll bring up the Pistons again, um, Like it would say the same thing where the Pistons are better with DeAndre, or with, uh, with Andre Drummond uh, off the court where, like, yeah. clearly they are better with Andre Drummond, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I like Ricky Rubio. Uh, I think he's a, I think he's actually a fun player, um, and I usually don't say that about facilitators, um, but I think, he's, I think he's a fun player to watch. No, he's definitely fun, and I think the big thing with Rubio is he's never really had a lot of consistency in his career. I mean, he played the majority of his time in Minnesota, and I think, he had a three-year stretch to start his career where he had the same coach. And then every year since his third season, he's had a different NBA head coach. And that's really hard for a point guard. It's hard to get into a rhythm. It's hard to know what the offense is expecting of you. And I think a big part of this year is he'll be with Quinn Snyder for a second year in a row, and he'll feel more comfortable. He'll feel more at home. And the Jazz really empowered him to shoot the ball. Uh, I mean, when you think about Ricky Rubio, that's the biggest thing is, He's never been a very good shooter, um, so people don't want him to shoot. But the Jazz actually told him, hey, like you can't not shoot the ball. And they encouraged him. They spent a lot of time with him. And then over the second half of the season, I mean, he he really turned it around and became a – he's not a great NBA shooter, obviously, but he became average. And for a guy who plays defense the way he does and can pass the way he does, being an average shooter really turns him into one of the better point guards in the league, in my opinion. So you talk about, you said earlier that the optimistic Jazz fans said at best they could be the eight seed. And obviously that's, that's not just Jazz fans. That was kind of the thoughts around the league for you know just everyone looking at how loaded that Western Conference is. You guys end up being the five seed. You get to the Western Conference semifinals. You run into the offensive juggernaut known as the Houston Rockets. Uh, when you look at everything you did with winning a playoff round, getting a series victory, and then, you know, Getting a game in that series against Houston, it's still pretty big considering how much how on fire they were at the time. How do you look back at that year, especially kind of building off that to look for this year with drafting guys like Grayson Allen? Um, yeah, I think last year was a great, great experience and opportunity for this team. And I mean, like I said, most Jazz fans and most NBA fans didn't even think they'd make the playoffs. And if they did, it would barely make it. Uh, certainly they didn't think they'd be a team who could um, 
beat out the Oklahoma City Thunder and get to the second round. And it's just good experience and opportunity for the Jazz. Um, heading into this next season, I think they can take that and they can grow from it. And you're going to see a much more seasoned veteran team and a team that is going to come in knowing what to expect from game to game and knowing how to win from game to game. Um, I don't think any team is going to want to play the Jazz. And I think that's going to be the best thing about us is, and it's, you're on the second game of back-to-back. It's game 44. Like, do you really want to go into Utah and get beat up by the Utah Jazz who are going to play physical, tough, and just gritty defense every single game of the season? Um, and I think that's going to be our calling card this next year is we're just going to, we're going to pound people. We're going to be a defense first team who's going to play good, solid offense. And I don't think teams are going to want to play us. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good time. So you talk about, you know, obviously defense is the strength of this team. Um, you talk about just the, the off, you know, the team that you have in the starting five. Uh, do you think that that identity was kind of what was really important to bring guys back like Derek Favors? Um, like, you know, guys like Dante Exum, was that, was that, you know, what the identity of the team is, was that why it was so important to make sure these guys stayed members of the Jazz? I do. I do. I think if you look over the second half of the season, the Jazz were historically great on the defensive side. The defensive rating during our, uh, from January 23rd on was roughly a 94, which hasn't been seen in years. Um, and really it's just incredible defense. And I think the reason the Jazz chose to kind of stand pat and just bring the gang back together for the second for the second time and not make a bunch of big moves over the offseason was if the second half of the year really was real, if that's something that they can sustain over the course of a whole year, there's really no reason to mess with that. Um, the Jazz were plagued with injuries last year where uh, Rudy Gobert, who is obviously the anchor of our defense, was out for 26 games. Dante Exum, who he- heading into last season – hopes were really high with Dante Exum. He looked really good in the preseason before he hurt his shoulder and missed almost the entire year. And I think the Jazz just figured, you know what, if, if this is real, if this is something that we can sustain over a whole year, there's no reason to mess with this. We should really see what we have. Um, yeah, I mean, they had a net rating of plus 12 from January 23rd on. There were only three teams in the entire NBA who were above a plus five in their net rating, and that, that so, included their. They had I, I a, don't think that's the thing. Bring it back. They had a, an eleven-game win streak in that, right? Yeah, they, uh, they, right before the All Star, they had an eleven-game win streak. Uh, you talked about Dante Exum, um, if he can be there now. Since he was picked fifth overall in 2014, he's missed a third of all of his games, um, and they re-signed him this year. I, I'm a guy that is actually buying Dante Exum stock. I really like him. Um, the insane six nine wingspan is very awesome uh, for a guard, I mean, especially a point guard. That's like unheard of. Um, I, I mean, do you think he has the? Do you think he has the ability to be the second best defender on the best defensive team in the league? I do. I really do. I think Dante Exum next to Rudy Gobert is probably the best. Um, defensive player as far as like wings go um and he showed it last year he showed it in the playoffs um i know a lot of people have talked about this when he was guarding james harden but uh james harden shot just three of 14 from the field and 0 of five from three-point range when defended by Dante exum 
And Exum only fouled them four times in 55 possessions, and the Rockets were 12.4 points worse when Harden was defended by Exum. So going up against the league MVP, one of the best offensive players in the entire NBA, and Exum shut him down, basically. And now, obviously, this is a small sample size. It's just one playoff series. But we've seen this from him in the past, where if he can be healthy and he can do that over the course of the year, uh, he, he might just be one of the best defensive wings in the entire NBA. Um, offensively is where he still has a good – he has a lot of room to grow on the offensive side, and hopefully we'll see big jumps from him this upcoming season on that end. Yeah, last, last season he was at about eight points per game, I believe. Uh, where do you see it? Yeah, was a career high, but still not, not the best. Where do you think he needs to be? Um, as far as points per game go, it's kind of tough to just lock down, like this is where I want him to be. The biggest things for him on the offense is I want to see him show a willingness to shoot the ball. Um, similar to Ricky Rubio, I think he's a player who he's never going to be the best shooter in the gym, but he needs to be willing to shoot the ball when he's open. Um, we saw him pass up a lot of shots last year. Uh, his rookie year, he attempted about three threes per game. And every year since then, he has taken less and less threes per game and shot a worse and worse percentage. So it, it just seems like he doesn't have a willingness to shoot the three. And I mean, last year he, he was out with a shoulder injury. So maybe that was part of it. Maybe he wasn't fully healthy and shooting threes were more difficult for him. And that's going to be the biggest growth for him, though, is he needs to show a willingness to shoot the ball when he's open. Yeah, I mean, as we're as we're seeing in Philadelphia, though, you don't have to shoot a three pointer to be a good guard. Uh, <laughs> as yeah, ben Simmons. I think, I think that you also have to be an elite passer, and I don't know if Jackson is there yet. He is he is great again to the rim, though. I mean, he he attacks with the passion, and because of his length, I mean, you mentioned that six nine wingspan, he. He shot about 67% around the rim. So he's a very, very good finisher at the rim. Um, but as teams start to key in on you, that's not always going to be an option. And if you're wide open, I mean, you saw with Ben Simmons in the playoffs, like teams are just going to back off you and say, hey, go ahead and shoot. Or you're not going to get ahead of steam to get past me. We're just going to clog the lane and force you to shoot. And unless he's willing to shoot those shots, defenders are just going to sack off of them. Yeah, so – with we talk about how awesome this team is on defense and and they really are um where i struggle um with putting the jazz in like that real elite uh tier of teams is on the offensive end you guys got rid of rodney hood last season and honestly looking at this team like if i wouldn't have known rodney hood was not on the team i would be like <laughs> rodney hood would be a perfect player for you to sign it, it seems like uh, I know. He, he was your second best scorer uh, last season uh, at 17 points a game. Donovan Mitchell was at about 20 points per game. I mean, how much how much more can he really progress? And, and I mean, who's going to be scoring besides Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, I think where the Jazz gets you is just that balanced offense attack. Um, outside of Donovan Mitchell, everyone else just kind of chips in here or there where they are. Um Donovan Mitchell, what I expect from him going forward is just to be a little bit more efficient. And if he is a little bit more efficient, he should be able to up his scoring. Um, really, I mean, he made 2.4 threes a game. If he can up that to about three and a half, so just one more a game, I and mean, that puts him at 23 points. And the biggest 
area for him to improve is he only attempted 3.8 free throws a game. So for a player who's kind of known for backing the rim and finishing these crazy layups, he didn't really create a lot of contact. And as he gets to that, I guess, I don't want to say superstar status, because as the referees probably start respecting him a little bit more, if he can average, instead of a little less than four free throws a game, if he can up that to six, well, now he's a 25-point game scorer. Um, outside of him, I think you're going to see contributions just from Joe Ingles. Probably, the, I would say Joe Ingles is probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I love you know Joe Ingles. Ingles you know. um, and if you don't follow Joe Ingles on Twitter, follow him on Twitter. He is the funniest basketball player I have ever followed on Twitter. He is hilarious. Um, and then other guys like Ricky Rubio, we mentioned he averaged 13 points a game last year, which is a career high for him. And over the second half of the year, it was 16 points a game. Um, Derek Favors averaged 12, 13 points a game. Jay Crowder averaged 12 points a game. I mean, the Jazz, they just have a very balanced offense that gets the job done. Death by a million paper cuts is how they're <laughs> going to get you. Yeah, and I mean, like, you look at it, their defense is so dominant. If the Jazz are scoring 100 points a game, they're probably going to win. I mean, they, they, they hold teams consistently under 100 points a game. So they don't have to score a ton of points. They just have to score enough. So you talk about some of the spots there as far as defense and scoring and stuff. And uh, at the deadline, you get Jay Crowder from Cleveland, which obviously Cleveland will very tell you about the success of Jay Crowder. One day, 99 <laughs> will be hung in the rafters at the queue. That's not happening. Um, did he play? How, how many games did he play with him? Like 40. Okay. Yeah. Like So you also, you also got Derrick Rose in the trade, but obviously there's a buyout there, so that doesn't happen. Um, but... How big of a how big was it for your team to get him? Um, a team that really was like trying to keep that defensive stuff going. We saw how good of a defender Crowder was in Boston. Didn't really get a chance to be that in Cleveland because Cleveland didn't play defense. Um, so coming there where he could be a defensive player again, kind of like the perfect second small forward for a Quinn Schneider team. Yeah, it it really ended up being a great fit. And his numbers, I mean, they don't jump off the page. He wasn't a very good shooter, but I think part of that is you throw a guy on a team in the middle of the year, it's, it's hard to get adjusted. But our defense with Jay Crowder on the floor was incredible. It was amazing. Him paired with Rudy Gobert was by far the best defensive combination in the NBA. Um, and I think what you're going to see with Jay Crowder heading into this next year is he's going to be a full-time power forward. I would rarely expect him to play small forward. Um, you're going to see – uh, Rudy Gobert started the center, and Derek Favors started the power forward position. And then after about four minutes, Derek Favors will come out, and Jay Crowder will go in as four. And from there on out, uh, Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert will essentially just play the center with a small ball four in there. And when your small ball four is Jay Crowder, someone who can stretch the floor and has the strength to guard any traditional four-man it it was really, really effective for the Jazz. Both offensively and defensively, they were a much better team with Jay Crowder playing the power forward. So, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it was you know, he was a huge pickup for the, for you guys and as far as that trade went. Um, you obviously lose George Hill, which... Was that right? Yeah, that was. Okay. And because uh, he was... No, Rod- he was, no, he was, was in Sacramento. Rod- God. George Hill's played for so many teams that I forget everywhere he's been. I, I, yeah. Like Vince Carter. Yeah, ever since you went to Indiana, Utah, Sacramento. So. Yeah. So we'll we'll scratch that part then. Okay. But that's another player. I mean, we didn't talk about that over the offseason, losing Gordon Hayward 
and George Hill. Those were our two top scorers last year. So, it's really impressive what the Jazz were able to do. What was your honest thoughts when Gordon Hayward got hurt? So, I was watching that game live, and I remember my wife was sitting next to me, and I I heard it before I saw it. You could hear the snap, and my, my honest thought was I felt terrible for Gordon Hayward. I'm, I'm not one of those NBA fans who gets really mad at players when they leave your team just because I look at it and say, that's what free agency is for. Team should, players should have every right to go to any team they want. And when an NBA team like the Boston Celtics will trade someone like Isaiah Thomas, I, it, it, it's a business and it should be viewed both ways. Like we don't get as mad when a team trades a player, but we get super mad as a player when they leave the team. And I just don't think that's very fair. So I was just, I was definitely disappointed when Hayward left, but I didn't really hold it against him, and when he got hurt, I mean that's a terrible injury. That it was, it was gruesome. That's one of the worst injuries I've ever seen live. And I haven't checked the schedule, so I'm not 100. percent But uh, when and if uh, Gordon Hayward returns to Utah, how do you think the fans will receive him? <laughs> he he will be booed very loudly, <laughs> um, which is fine. I mean, that's just how it is. You kind of you come to expect that. I mean, we booed Darren Williams six years after he left the jazz, you just kind of expect it. But the chances are he might not even play. That's what I'm trying to find out. My, I actually have tickets to that game. I believe it's November 11th, um, but it's a back-to-back Boston. Is it the 10th? Um, I, I'm curious if Boston is going to be resting Gordon Hayward on the second night of back-to-backs because it's so early in the year. And they'll be playing the jazz on the second night of a back-to-back on their hood. So I can't imagine just Utah Jazz Twitter, if he sits that game, they will be coming after him. Yeah, I mean, they're so deep, and they're going to be fine that they can rest their guys Although, on back-to-back, uh, especially against physical teams. So um, I wouldn't hold your breath for him playing, just being honest, I guess. But uh, you guys you guys did have uh, another pickup, which uh, I had some mixed feelings about. You guys got Grayson Allen this year. Um, got him with the 21st overall pick. So this is where my mixed feelings come in. I like that you got him. Um, I like him on your team. Um, and I think that he's going to be good. I don't ever see Grayson Allen being a, a good starter in the league, but I see him being like a really good sixth or seventh guy in the rotation. Um, kind of like a fringe starter kind of guy. Um, maybe like a lesser Eric Gordon for example, or something like that. Uh, but I did think 21 was a little high on that. What were your thoughts on getting uh, Grayson Allen? Um, I-, I thought it was a good pick. It wasn't something I was super surprised about, just being pretty in tune with the Jazz. And if you listen to David Locke on Locked on Jazz, he talked a lot about Grayson Allen. And he, I think he even attended some of the workouts. And you could tell, listening to him, that the Jazz were very high on Grayson Allen. And, I mean, the stories came out later that Donovan Mitchell was at one of the workouts with Allen, and afterwards he reached out to Jazz management and encouraged them to take Allen. So, obviously, his workouts were really impressive, and if you have Donovan Mitchell, your star player, saying, hey, I would love if he took that player, it it makes a lot of sense. I do agree with you. I I don't think Allen is ever going to be a star. I don't know if he's ever a a player you want to be your starting point guard, Um, but he's a great player to have on your bench who 
is always going to hustle. He's going to have a good role on the team. And I, I really do think he'll have a positive impact. Um, I actually wrote an article where I compared him to some of the other current NBA players. And I talked about Malcolm Brogdon and Matthew Delavidova. So, I mean, those types of players who they don't blow you away, but they're very positive players and they help the team win. For what the Jazz need, I think he fills an immediate need. It'll be tough for him to get playing time just because the Jazz are a very deep roster, but they're in desperate need of three-point shooting. That's probably the biggest area of opportunity for the Utah Jazz offense is we don't have a lot of three-point shooting. And Grayson Allen shot 38% from three over the course of his career at Duke. Um, And then also he's not going to hurt the team on defense. He's a very gritty, hard-nosed player. A little undersized, but he's very athletic and plays hard. Um, So I don't know. He's the type of player like Draymond Green, where if he's on your team, you're going to love him. If he's not on your team, yeah, you probably don't like him. And they both kick people in the nuts? I'm sorry, they trip people. That's fine. Anything to get an advantage, that's fine. Grayson Allen's got so his defense is is definitely um, competent. He's not, he's definitely not going to hurt you on defense. I do worry about his off ball defense sometimes, uh, but as an on ball defender, he's he's very solid. Well, there's a reason Duke didn't play man to man defense last year. Yeah, but everyone was saying everyone was pointing the blame kind of whenever whenever you go down the the draft. I'm not board. saying it's him. Yeah, I know, but yeah, just off the ball would be my only concern there, but. Uh, yeah, I think he's a, he's a I, think, I think one of the things with the Jazz, and I thought about this during the offseason, is if they were going to go after uh, a big buzz was like Jabari Parker. If the Jazz were going to go after a player like Jabari Parker, would he mess with the defensive culture? And I think that's the benefit of having so many great defensive players on this roster is if the Jazz really need to and they need more offense, I think they can take an offense first player and someone who's maybe a bit of a defensive liability because you've got Rudy Gobert behind him. So I, I definitely agree. Maybe off ball, he, he takes a few too many risks, and sometimes he gets a little distracted. But when you have Rudy Gobert back there, sometimes that's fine. Yeah, you guys can have Zach Levine. There you go. <laughs> yeah, please please take Zach Levine. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand why Chicago matched that contract. They should have just let him go to the Kings. That's another podcast for another time. That we just don't have time for today. Tim, we got to watch Tim's blood pressure, so we're not going <laughs> to There should be, at some point, there needs to be a 30 for 30 of all the Sacramento Kings decisions that have just benefited so many other teams. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not kidding there. So, uh, I would like to get your thoughts on Rudy Gobert. I can tell, um, I can tell that you're high on him. I can tell that you really like having him. Where do you put him as far as best centers in the league? Um, best centers in the league, I'd probably put him in the top three. The, I mean, really the only clear cut center that I look at and say, absolutely, that player is better than him is Anthony Davis. Um, I think there's an argument that could be made that Joel Embiid is probably better than him just because of his offensive contributions. But after that, I think you have to look at Rudy Gobert. And what was that? What about, uh, DeMarcus Cousins? Um, I'm not as high on DeMarcus Cousins, and I think a lot of people aren't as high on DeMarcus Cousins for obvious reasons, just because I, I haven't seen him win. Like, yeah, the stats are great, but show me that you can put up great stats and actually have a positive impact on the team. Um, and with that Achilles injury heading into next year, it's just, I mean, you never know. DeMarcus Cousins may never be the same again. Um, also, just 
when I've seen the head-to-head matchups of Rudy Gobert going against DeMarcus Cousins, Rudy Gobert usually gets the best DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, and obviously that's probably something I've just noticed because I always watch the Utah Jazz games. But when they go head-to-head, when DeMarcus Cousins tries to score on Rudy Gobert, rarely did it end well. Um, so I just I think Cousins may have been a little bit overrated, but especially with that Achilles injury, I'd probably put him higher. Um, I think there's other centers who maybe have the potential to be better. If you look at Carl, Carl Anthony Towns, like if he ever really ties it all together, yeah, he probably has the potential to be better than Gobert. But Gobert has shown over his entire career that he can be the best player on an elite defensive team. And when he's not on the floor, the Jazz aren't the same team. When he's on the floor, they have a defensive rating of 97.7. And when he's off the floor, it jumps up to 105. And it's similar with the offense. He's not viewed as an offensive player, but he has a very positive effect on the offense because when he sets the pick and roll and rolls to the basket, there's a gravity there that it sucks defenders in and opens up other opportunities for open three-point shots. So he probably one of the more underrated centers in the NBA because he's not glamorous. He doesn't do it on the offensive side. He doesn't on the defensive side, but he's an incredible player to watch from game to game. So he was voted the 14th overall player on SI's top 100. Do you think that's too high? Do you think that's too low? Do you think that's just about right? Um, I think that's just about right. I think that's pretty good. Um, I think there's an argument that could be made like one, a couple spots higher, but I'm totally fine with that because for the Jazz to have a defense first center be ranked that high, that shows that the league is kind of coming around and, He's being recognized as the player that he is. Personally, I think it's a, a little high. I'd, I'd probably put him maybe top 20, but I think 14. Yeah, because Mitchell's 34. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, and I always look at this and say, it's like this with the All-Star game, right? When somebody doesn't get voted in, they're like, oh, like he got snubbed. Like, well, who are you replacing him with? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's 14 is too high. It's like, well, who's, who should he be moved behind for? Right. No, and, and I know it's like just kind of hypothetical barbershop talk, you know what I mean? Where, like, you'll yeah. never you'll never know who's better out of those two. But. Yeah, there's no exact science to it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the biggest thing with Gobert is he just needs to prove that he can stay healthy over the course of a whole year. Uh, last year, he, he missed 26 games, and the Jazz really struggled, and he wasn't there. Without Gobert, the Jazz were 10 and 15. And with Gobert, they were 38 and 18, and they were on pace to win – I mean, they were a 55-win team if Gobert plays and is healthy. Um, but he's, I mean, he's shown over the last probably four years that it's a struggle for him to stay healthy because he's so tall. He's just vulnerable for those lower leg injuries. And if he gives the Jazz 70 games this year, that'll be viewed as a win. Gotcha. Um, what do you think is the, the best uh, lineup that this team could roll out this year? The best starting five. The best starting five is probably going to be Rudy Gobert, Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, and Ricky Rubio. I think that's the best lineup. It gives us a little more conventional NBA lineup with a stretch four out there, but it allows us to not sacrifice our defensive culture because, I mean, really, you go up that five. Offensively, they're they're effective because – Donovan Mitchell can obviously score with anybody. Joe Ingles is the best three-point shooter in the NBA, not named Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, maybe. Uh, Jay Crowder, he's not, he's not an amazing offensive player, but you at least have to be out on him. 
Um, but defensively, I mean, is there I mean, Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Crowder, Gobert? I mean, who's the worst defensive player in that lineup? And that's, that's just a really, really good defensive lineup. You can also score. So off the bench, you'd have uh, Exum, Allen, uh, Favors. Uh, who am I missing here? Um, Alec Burks might play a little bit. Howell Neto might play a little bit. Um, Tabo Cephalosha. A lot of people forget that we have Tabo Cephalosha, who was actually a really good player over the first half of the season before he um, had a leg fracture or a knee fracture and had to miss the rest of the year. How deep does this team go in the playoffs? How many players do you think they could actually use in a rotation uh, in like a second round of the playoffs? Um, probably about nine deep. I would say. I think they start with their typical starting five of Gobert, Favors, Ingles, Mitchell, Rubio, and then Crowder will definitely still play. Dante Exum will definitely still play. Oh, we forgot Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal is a great NBA player who nobody knows about. Um, he's a fantastic defensive player. He's he's going to turn into, I think, one of the better 3 and D NBA players off the bench. He'll definitely play. Um, and then after that, I mean, you might see Tabo Cephalosha. You might see a little bit of Alec Burks, depending on the matchup. But I mean, really, eight nine deep is what you're looking at. Tabo Cephalosha, who plays in Air Max nineties, they're not exactly a basketball shoe, but he rocks them on the court. <laughs> I respect it. Dig it. So, John, let me get this going from you real quick. Um, let's talk a little bit about Quinn Snyder before we uh, wrap this up. Um, obviously, he's a guy that's come up the coaching tree. He's done a great job. He's been successful. From someone like like Kyle and I, we don't we don't follow the Jazz. Obviously, we're not talking about the Jazz on a daily basis. Uh, we don't write about them stuff like that. What can you tell guys like us who aren't diehard Jazz fans why what Quinn Snyder does works so well in the NBA? Um, I would say the biggest thing about Quinn is he's just a player's coach. I mean, you you never hear a bad, you never hear anything negative about Quinn Snyder from an active player. I mean, the only negativity I've heard is from Trey Lyles, who didn't like the three hour practices. Um, that's about the only negative thing you'll ever hear about him. Um, I mean, he, he really matches the culture and identity of this jazz team. When you look at Quinn, he's just a hard nosed, intense coach and the players represent that on the floor. Um, uh, offensively, he runs a really fun offense. It's very similar to, uh, Golden State, Atlanta Hawks. It's a lot of ball movement, a lot of, a lot of screens. And I mean, really there's, I think his philosophy, his philosophy off on the offensive side of the ball is he feels that if you're touching the ball, you're going to play harder on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so even if you aren't scoring the most points, even if you aren't taking the most shots, if you're touching the ball, even if it's just to make a rotation pass, because you touch the ball on offense, you're going to feel more included and you're going to be less inclined to check out on the defensive side of the ball. And so far that's proven to be true. I mean, you look at a guy like, Rudy Gobert, I mean, he only gets seven, eight shots a game, maybe. Um, but he's very, very active on the defensive side, and he never complains about touches on the offense because he does a lot of the dribble handoffs and sets a lot of screens. He's very involved, and it's been very effective. He's a very fun coach. He's intense. If you ever look at him, there's a – I don't I, I've never known if it's pronounced GIF or GIF. I, I don't know. It's probably GIF, but – there's a gif of Quinn Snyder online where he's screaming at his players to wake up in one of his first NBA seasons because they were struggling against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I mean, rarely do you see an NBA coach who has that type of passion for what he's doing. And 
he's a very, very fun coach to have. I Honestly, I, I feel like he should have won Coach of the Year this last year with what he did with this roster. Definitely had a case. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, his name should have at least been in there at the top. Uh, and, and, I mean, it was. I believe he finished second in voting. I mean, he was very close, but they gave it. They gave it to Dwayne Casey, who had been fired from Toronto. So I think an argument can be made that it probably should have gone to Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's still set a franchise record, but I, I do see what you're saying, absolutely. Um, so, so <laughs> yeah, every... I mean, they... Oh, go ahead. Uh, just looking at Quinn Snyder, I mean, you look at the first half of the year, um, the Jazz were nine games under 500. They very easily could have just collapsed and said, you know what, we'll scrap it, we'll let Rudy Gobert rest with all these injuries he's had, and we'll play for the lottery, and we'll come back next year. But at no point did Quinn Snyder allow that to happen. And I think that just speaks volume to the type of coach he is. Right. So so with with every team preview we do, we do like to get uh, some, some bold predictions from our guests. So we're going to ask you what your bold prediction is for the Utah Jazz in this 2018 season. Uh, where do you see them finishing as far as wins for the season? Where do you see them uh, placing in the in the playoffs? What uh, what seed would they be? And how far are they going to get in the playoffs? Okay. Um, I mean, that's something I've given a lot of thought to. I think as far as the Jazz go, end of the season, I think, they could be a 55-win team. I think that's within their grasp. I think the hardest thing is they're in a loaded Western Conference where and I, we did this in our podcast where we went through every single team in the Western Conference from top to bottom and just talked about their potential to make the playoffs. And really, there's only three teams in the West who it's like, yeah, they're not going to make the playoffs. Every other one can make the playoffs. So to win 55 games is a stretch in the West, but if the Jazz if the second half of last year really is who the Jazz are, and if they can stay healthy the whole year, and if players like Donovan Mitchell can take the typical second-year leap, and if Ricky Rubio can continue to play like he did in the second half of last season, this team should be one of the best teams in the West, and they could win 55 games. Um, I see at the end of well, mid midway, I think both Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell will be all-stars, if that's the case. If they're playing like the second-best team in the West, typically the second-best team will get a few all-star nods, and I think this could be the first time in the years that the Jazz have had two all-stars in the same year in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Uh, as far as the playoffs go, like I said, I think they can be the two-seed, and if they are the two-seed, I can see them getting to the Western Conference Finals. I think they could match up against the Golden State Warriors. I don't necessarily like I'm a huge jazz homer but I don't think they would win that matchup I still think they lose to the Warriors but and if you look in the Western Conference do you think there's a team better equipped to play the Golden State Warriors than the Utah Jazz um maybe Oklahoma City uh maybe I mean they're they're good defensively too I mean obviously they have some holes where Utah doesn't really have the holes um but I would say the the counter argument to that is that they have uh, a lot of offensive firepower as well. Um, but I, I definitely think Utah Jazz are right up there with probably who's best equipped. I agree. And I, I hear people say that, like Oklahoma City, but, I mean, Oklahoma City is essentially the same team as last year minus Carmelo Anthony, and the Jazz beat them last year in the first round. So Yeah, they got I, Roberson. I, I think lot, yeah, I guess. 
I, I don't know if he's that big of a difference. Um, defensively, obviously, he's an incredible player, but offensively, like we talked about, he's I mean, he's a negative on the offensive side. Um, I think Houston might be the other argument. I mean, maybe they are better equipped, but Houston also took a step back as well. I just the Western Conference lo- is definitely loaded, but I think there's a legitimate case that the Utah Jazz are the second best team in the Western Conference. Right on. Uh, Vegas has them at, and Vegas, and we know this, Vegas isn't predicting how many wins they're getting. They're placing money line bets. We understand that too. Um, yeah. So Vegas put that at 48.5 for the Utah Jazz for wins. Um, I believe they put the two seed, they put a. Uh, the Houston Rockets at fifty four and a half. So you're you're taking the over. I'm definitely taking the over. Definitely taking the over. What's like the what's the worst case scenario? Let's say they're healthy, but worst case scenario for this team next year. Um so there's there's a real argument that can be made that the first half of an NBA season is a better predictor of a team versus the second half. Because in the second half you start getting teams who I mean, the writing is on the wall. Like maybe teams are just, we're not going to make the playoffs. They're in a tank. You have injuries. You have teams who know they're going to make the playoffs and they're just kind of coasting. So I know I've seen a lot of numbers that say the first half of an NBA season is maybe a better predictor of the next season that's going to happen. So the worst case scenario for the Jazz is that maybe the first half of the year where they really did struggle and were closer to a 500-win team when they actually were healthy, uh, maybe that's real. Uh, maybe they don't have the offensive firepower to compete in the Western Conference, and they, they end up kind of fading back to the middle. Um, but worst case scenario, if healthy, I mean, it's hard to see this team being anything worse than a 500 win team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that like worst case scenario, they're still a playoff team for sure. You know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah, I, I think that their ceiling is like a two seed, but I think that like you know, if they just aren't playing well, I still think they're going to be like a playoff team in the West. Um, so, they'll, they'll oh, yeah. definitely... I, mean, they to, I think I think the West goes about ten teams deep, though. So I think the worry is, I mean, you never you never know. Like last year, I think the Jazz the Jazz won forty eight games last year, and the nine and ten seed who didn't make the playoffs was it Denver? Denver just barely missed. It. I mean, Denver won what forty six games. 45? I, I think it was around there. So, I mean, it doesn't take much. I mean, in the Western Conference, you could be I mean, you could be two wins out from being the third seed and be out of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, this team's definitely going to be a threat and one that I know that uh, Tim and I are going to be uh, watching this year. So, John, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the podcast, and thank you so much for taking some time to do this team preview with us and give us some insight on the Jazz. Uh, before we do get out of here, though, one chance again for you. Uh, be sure to shout out your social media, your podcast, your website, everything you want to go. By all means, take the floor, man. Yeah, thanks so much. I think the biggest things I'd like to point out are just the janos.com. Make sure you're you're following them. It's an incredible website. I mean, really, they provide amazing content. They have terrific writers who are dedicated and, and love the jazz. So if you're a Utah Jazz fan, make sure you're, you're following that content. Uh, the three-point threat. As I said, uh, me and Jared Woodcox, we meet about once a week to uh, recap how the Jazz are going and touching base on some of the other things. Uh, Twitter, you can follow me at, at John underscore Kiefer. Um, obviously, I'm a diehard die Jazz fan, but I, I like all NBA basketball and 
and football. I'm really excited for football going on right now. Go Niners. They won tonight. Um, but again, really thanks so much for having me on guys. It was, it was a pleasure to talk about the Utah jazz. I'm excited that the season is exactly one month away. It was a long summer, but it's right around the corner. Yes, it is. Well, Hey, that's going to wrap up this week's edition of 48 minutes brought to you by 40 minutes network.com. Thank you to Kyle Brandon for filling in. Always enjoy having you on. And of course, thanks to John. So everyone have a good night and enjoy the rest of your day. If I was the wrong one You said it all, that you made me the last one Elevated by your greatest mistake Now I'm 